Let's turn together to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. I'll read from verses 18 through 27. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you, about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. We've seen in recent weeks in our study here in 1 John, why it is so important that believers have the Word of God abiding in them, and why it is such a vicious trap to love the world and the things in the world, And what I mean by that, if you haven't been with us, what I mean by being a vicious trap to love the world and the things of the world is is not this. I don't mean that we don't love people. God loves people, and we are to love people. It is not that we don't love what God has created. God created all things. He created the universe in which we live. He created the nature that we enjoy, and He intended it for our good and His glory. And so we're to love and enjoy that. But what we mean is that we don't love the world and the things of the world. When we talk about that, we're talking about the system of evil at work in the world. We're not to love evil things. We're not to be involved in evil. And so we've been talking about, if you haven't been with us, you go back a few verses and read in 1 John chapter 2, you'll see pointers and markers here in, in God's Word about why it's so critical that we be people of the Word and people who are saturated by God's Word and why it is such a vicious trap to love the world and the things in the world. In the passage that I just read, in the passage before us this morning, John gives a warning to believers. He's giving us a warning to be on guard against those who would teach something other than what they had been taught in the beginning. Be on guard against those who would teach something other than what we had learned from God's Word and what God's Word teaches us. 
And so we have this warning here from John in these verses 18 through 27. And he gives a very serious reminder for believers to be alert. But his words here also give great hope. They give us great hope coupled with a serious charge to keep. Let's look together at these insights for living the Christian life from the God-inspired writing of John here in the Word of God. John sounds the following alarm, the following warning in verses 18 and 19. I want you to look at it again. When he begins with the word children, he says, Children, and as I noted last week, if you were here last week, you might remember I clarified a little bit, children, he's not talking to children so much as he's talking to believers in general. And what a reminder for us. We are God's children. And what a special blessing that is if you have surrendered your life to Christ and repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. Do not be offended when you are called children. Okay, You're a child of God, and that's a precious place to be, and he expects his children to grow up and mature spiritually, right? And so John addresses children. He's talking to the church. And so we know he's warning believers Children, verse 18, it is, look at it, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And look at verse 19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were, they all are not of us. John reminds the believers, John reminds us, we're in the last hour. He reminded the believers then, they're in the last hour. There is an Antichrist coming. We know that, right? And he obviously was reminding them, they knew that. As you have heard, he says, they were in the last hour. It is the last hour. In other words, we too are in the last hour, just as the believers in John's day were in the last hour. Of course, the New Testament teaching is that Christ began the last hour or last days, is the New Testament language, last hour or last days, with His first coming and His surrendering of Himself to be cruelly killed and sacrificed on a cross so that He could conquer sin and death and the grave and be raised again victoriously on the third day. He began the last hour. He began the last days. His first coming began the last hour. And though that was certainly a very long time ago, believers today are still in the last hour. And lest you be confused, you say, how can that be? How can that be? How can that be? Over 2,000 years ago, John says, we know that it's the last hour, and you're telling us today that it's also the last hour? How does that make sense? Well, let's not forget that God's work is done with human time. He uses human time, but He is not bound by it. You realize that, right? That God is not bound by our human understanding of time. He is above it. Just as we learned from 2 Peter 3.8, where it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That begins to give you a little bitty picture of how God looks at time very differently than we do. Only God knows how long 
these last days or this final hour will last. We could worry ourselves silly trying to figure it out. But only God knows, and I think that's a good place where I ought to stay there, right? God knows, and we can trust in God, the creator of the universe, to uh, to have that under control. Thank God. And if it was the last hour for believers in John's day, how much more critical that we be alert as we draw nearer to the day of the Lord, that day of judgment. Think about it. John's warning the believers in that day, hey, this is the last hour. These are the last days. Be alert. How much more so? We ought to be alert, right? John says that, yes, we are in the last hour, and before the end there will be an Antichrist, just as you have heard. But he also says something that's more important here. And you say, well, what could be more important than an antichrist? And what's more important for us is that he says there are many antichrists at work today. You see, we ought not concern ourselves necessarily with who the one antichrist will be in the end. We know that there will be. Rest assured, God knows. And God will deal with the one. Right? The one Antichrist. But there are many Antichrists at work today, says John. And if we're still in the last hour, how serious it is that we pay attention to his words as well. He's saying something that's much more important for us today than the fact that there will be an Antichrist. There will be. But there is the spirit of Antichrist at work today. There is the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world today. That's why last time together we talked about don't love the world, don't love the things in the world. We're not talking about people or the creation that God created. We're talking about the evilness and the wickedness in the world that we could easily be entrapped by and involved in. Don't love those things. Don't be led astray by them. There's an undercurrent of evil and wickedness and sinfulness at work in this world today. That's why John says many Antichrists have come. John says, yes, it is the last hour. As you have heard, yes, there will be an Antichrist, but don't overlook the fact that many Antichrists have come. There are many people at work, many, many in, in people who are, who are striving and working and, and, and slave driving themselves to discount the gospel work of Jesus Christ, the good news work of Jesus Christ. There's this undercurrent of evil and sinfulness that's at work in the world today. And we best be alerted to it. There will be an Antichrist, but there is this spirit of Antichrist at work in the world today, which which ought to be our main concern today. Not who will be the Antichrist, but let's learn to recognize that we're in danger today because of an undercurrent of evil. That's what John is calling attention to. And though we don't know when the end of the last days will come, and though we don't know who the Antichrist will be, John says something that puts the emphasis not on trying to determine the the answers to those questions, but in being alert for today, to guard your heart for today, to teach the truth today, to be equipped and guarded from evil and wickedness today, John says in verse 18, so now many antichrists have come. You see, there are many antichrists, meaning many forms of evil. 
there's an undercurrent of evil that is hostile toward God and opposed to God. And there is now at work in the world the spirit of Antichrist, which reminds us that we are in the last hour. So we're to be on guard. There have been people in every generation... There have been those in every generation that have exhibited this principle of evil that is opposed to God. And the warning for believers in every generation has been and is that the spirit of Antichrist is at work today. The opposition of Christ has been outright and blatant and obvious in the teaching of some. Right? You would look at the teaching of some and you go, they are opposed to Christ. They they are blatantly so. John points to that truth in verse 19, I think, when he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. It was plain to them Here are people who are not believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They departed from us. It was obvious they didn't believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in others, in other people, in other movements, it has been a very subtle subtle and dangerous, if not more dangerous than those who are opposing God openly. Often opposition to God is very subtle and underhanded. And often... In such cases, it's very dangerous. A defining characteristic of one who is working in the evil ways of the Antichrist is what John notes in verses 22 and 23. Look at what he says, and here's how the spirit of Antichrist is defined in the world today and this undercurrent of wickedness in the world today. Verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, and he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You see his clarification and definition of this this undercurrent of Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world today. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. This is the Antichrist. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You see, no one can come and say, oh, I I believe in God, and oh yeah, sure, I believe that Jesus lived, but don't tell me that He is the only way. Okay? Someone comes to you and says that, that's the spirit of Antichrist at work, because that is a teaching that is opposed to God's Word. Okay? And that is a teaching that is opposed to Jesus Christ as God come in human flesh to sacrifice Himself, to give Himself willingly for sinners. And that includes you and me. And so anyone who comes and says, well, no, I believe that there is a God, and I believe that God exists, and I believe that we're going to have to answer to Him, but the Jesus thing, I'm just not on board with that. I'm sorry. God's Word says, Jesus said, What did Jesus say? I am the way. He didn't say a way. He said the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so this is the spirit of Antichrist. Be alert, because sometimes it can be very subtle. 
People say, oh, I'm, I'm religious. I go to church. I believe in God. Uh, the way, the truth, and the life stuff. I'm not so sure about Jesus. Or, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is God, but I'm not so sure I have to, you know, surrender my life to Him and all that. You know, I believe that if I'm good, He'll take care of me, and I believe Jesus was God, but I don't think I have to give myself to Him or anything. He just, he just meant for me to be a good person. You see, you see how subtle the spirit of Antichrist can be in some of the teachings today that we hear and some of the ways people believe? You see, these, these men in, in, their, in that day, in John's day, who were misleading people away from the gospel, and those men and teachers today who lead people away from the gospel, they are working in the spirit of Antichrist. That's why John says many Antichrists have come. They're working in the spirit of Antichrist to, to dissuade people, to distract people from the gospel, to lead them away from God's truth and God's word. And they are in opposition to Christ by their very nature. They are opposed to God. They deny the Father. They deny the Son. And their teaching threatens to lead away from the word of truth. Be warned. Be careful. Any teaching that leads you away from God's word is a false teaching. Any teaching that says, no, no, okay, God's Word is good, but you know, that's not everything you need. Here's another book. You need this book too. Alright? Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking good literature. We, we try, we're trying to stock some good, godly, well-written books in our church library. I encourage you often to read other books, but your life had better depend upon God's Word. And you better measure the other books you read by what God's Word says. Don't ever take some other book and says, no, that says something different than what the Bible says, but I believe this other book. Our lives are to be conformed to God's Word and transformed by God's Word. And those then and those today working in the spirit of Antichrist are by their very nature in opposition to Christ, in opposition to God's Word, and would lead you to disbelieve in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says so in verse 26. Verse 26, look at it with me again. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive, the, deceive you. He wants them to be forewarned that there are deceivers there are those working in the spirit of Antichrist today who are deceivers, subtly so, sometimes blatantly so. John sounds the warning. So we have this warning from John. The alarm bells are going off for us that there's this undercurrent of opposition to Jesus Christ as Savior. The very truth of the Gospel, no less. And Antichrists are at work in the world today working to deceive those who would believe and so we can thank John for the alarm bells. Thank you, John, for sounding the alarm. Thank you for telling us that the house is on fire, but, but we need a way of escape. All right? Could you give us a way of escape, please, John? He does. John gives us a way of escape. I want to show you that there is hope and there is help. Because if I left you hanging with, there's an undercurrent of wickedness and evil going on in the world, there's not much hope in that, is there? But John doesn't stop there, and neither am I going to stop there. We have words of encouragement from John in these verses and a charge to keep in these verses. I want, to, I want to show you both. Note with me the words of encouragement from John from God's Word for those who are followers of Christ. Note verse 20. 
Look at verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, what is the hope that John gives believers? What are these words of encouragement that John gives us? It's it's a hope that is ours when we repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And it's this. It's this hope that is ours when we repent of sin and we believe in Jesus Christ. What happens in the believer's life when we come before God and we admit our sinfulness? God, I am a sinner in need of being saved. I admit my sinfulness. And I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I believe in Jesus to save me from my sins. What happens in the life of the believer immediately? Holy Spirit. I hear some of you whispering, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes, right? That's what John's talking about here. It's a hope that is ours when we, when we repent and turn from our sin and turn to God and believe in Jesus Christ, this promised indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. You see it in verse 20? You've been anointed by the Holy One. Believers, you mind if I say little children, like John does, hey children, (laughs) children of God, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed by the Holy One. Do not discount what God will accomplish in you and through you because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And yes, there are evil forces at work in the world. And yes, there are those who are employed by Satan to deceive people from believing the truth of the Gospel. But, as John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit at work in you, says John, of believers in Christ. And note what else the follower of Christ has been given because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. John says, verse 20, you see it? And you all have knowledge. And you all have knowledge. Believers are guarded against the spirit of Antichrist at work in this world, this undercurrent of evil in the hands of Satan in this world. Believers are guarded from this because believers have the Holy Spirit, right? You have the the anointing of the Holy One and you have the Word. You realize you need both? Do you realize you need both? You need the Holy Spirit. And we can thank God that we get the Holy Spirit when we repent and turn from our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. We get the indwelling presence of God. But the Holy Spirit uses the Word to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Note that without the Holy Spirit, there is no knowledge. No Holy Spirit, no understanding of the Word. So you need the Holy Spirit and you need the Word and you need to get the Word in you and let the Holy Spirit work. And you can be assured 
Look at the second half of verse 23. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You see, this hope is yours if you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You have the Holy Spirit. You have also the key to knowledge. You have the Holy Spirit and you have the Word. And this is the hope for those who trust, whose trust is in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit who leads you into the truth of God's Word and then applies the truth of God's Word to your life. And you are securing your salvation, more hope, because of your fellowship with Christ the Son and God the Father, and eternal life is yours, according to verse 25. Right? This is our hope, and it is a very great hope. But I told you there was also a charge to keep from this passage. And see, God's Word also always works this way. Here's your hope. Here's your responsibility. Here's the promise. Here's your precept to keep, right? There's a charge to keep from this passage. And the charge to keep is a twofold charge. Look at verse 24 again for the first part of the charge. Verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What is that that they heard? Because John, speaking of believers over 2,000 years ago, what is that they heard? Well, they had heard the apostles' doctrine preached. They had heard the apostles preach. How do we abide by the Word? How do we abide by what, what we heard from the beginning? Well, we could say it this way. For us today, we could put it this way. Let the Word of God abide in you. John says to believers, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. We could put it this way. Let the Word of God abide in you. That sounds a lot like what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. How? Richly. Richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's interesting to me, this little word let in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. It indicates to me that it's possible that we can, we can stop something from happening in us because of God's Word. We can quench the Holy Spirit, can't we? And we can turn from God's Word Oh, how we need to yield to God's Word and surrender ourselves to what God's Word says. Let the Word of, let the Word that you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let God's Word abide in you. We see it there in Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's something you can do about it. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You haven't noticed over the last few weeks, again and again and again, I keep pounding this drum. Get God's Word into your life. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Are you getting tired of hearing that? This is the right answer. No, Pastor, we're not getting tired of hearing that. You say, no, we love to hear that. You know why? You need to hear that. Whether you love it or not, you need to hear that. I am not going to stop 
harassing you and haranguing you to take God's Word and read it and apply it to your life and saturate your heart and soul and mind with God's Word. You need to let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You need to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You need to store up the Word in your heart that you might not sin against God. And we noted the same thing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. Back up if you're still in 1 John there. Look at verse 14. That we are mighty in God to overcome the evil one when God's Word abides in us. You want to be mighty to overcome this undercurrent of evil, this undercurrent of Antichrist at work in the world today? 1 John 2.14 Because you are strong at the end, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You see that? We're strong for defeating Satan's ploys to discourage us We're strong for defeating Satan's ploys to blind our spiritual eyes from seeing the truth. We're spared Satan's ploys. We're not not going to overcome it in our own strength, you realize. We're spared by God's truth, by God's Word in us, dwelling in us richly. If I could say it briefly... Live in the Word. Live in the Word. Get God's Word in you. That first part of John's charge here for believers is to be guarded from the deceitfulness of the evil one. And it's live in the Word. Children, take the Bible and live in it. It is God's Word. Get God's Word in you. You may not have ever thought about this, but the reason we have a pulpit here is so we have a place to put the Word. Okay, The reason we put it dead front and center is because we have a place for the Word. The Word of God preached ought to be central in our lives. The Word of God read into our hearts and minds and obeyed ought to be central in our lives. And this first part, of John's charge here for believers is to be guarded from this deceitfulness by living in the Word. The second part of John's charge is in verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. Remember, Holy Spirit, right? And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Why is that? But as His anointing teaches you. What does the Holy Spirit teach us? Right? But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, the Holy Spirit teaching us, abide in Him. Abide in Him. This is the charge. Abide in Him. Some translations have it slightly differently. You may have a translation that says, Ye shall abide in Him, or or you will abide in Him. But this is really a challenge to do something. This is a charge to keep, a command. And better translated in the English Standard Version, it says, abide in Him. Do this. 
Abide in the Spirit. Remain in the Spirit. Paul reminds believers, look, it's as if Paul is saying, look, hey, don't forget this. The anointing that you received, the Holy Spirit that abides in you is teaching you. Get into God's Word. Live in God's Word because the Holy Spirit takes the tool of His Word and and teaches you. The Holy Spirit teaches you the truth when you have the Word abiding in you. So, remain in the Spirit. Let the Spirit teach you through God's Word. It's like the passage of Scripture that says, quench not the Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's work in you. Abide in Him. This is so similar to what John is saying in John chapter 15, the Gospel of John. Why don't you look at it with me? John chapter 15, toward the beginning of the New Testament, John 15, verses 4 and 5. passage you may be familiar with in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus says, Abide in Me. John 15, verse 4. Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's very much like Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, where he says, But be filled with the Spirit. And how do we evidence that? Addressing one another, verse 19, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Abide in Him. And I want you to note what kind of a life that abiding in the Holy Spirit evidences. What kind of life does abiding in the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit produce? You know it probably very very well. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a glimpse of it in verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. There's an indicator there of how we abide in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit abides in us when we yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to what God's Word teaches us to do. And so verse four, verse 24 in Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, surrendered themselves, humbled themselves before God with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And so here's the charge for us today. Because there is an undercurrent of evil that seeks to separate us from God's truth, we must live in the Word and let the Holy Spirit live in us and do His work in us. We must live in the Word and let the Holy Spirit do His living in us. Read. Memorize. Store up God's Word. Be encouraged by God's Word. Be corrected 
by God's Word. And if I could say this without offending you, you need to be corrected, okay? I need to be corrected by God's Word. We all need to be corrected by God's Word. And, and if you read God's Word enough, you'll find that it corrects your thinking, it corrects, corrects your behavior, it corrects your attitude, it corrects your speech, it corrects your actions, it corrects your purpose in life. So read and memorize and store up God's Word and be encouraged and corrected and admonished by God's truth. And let your thinking be set straight by God's Word. And do not quench the Spirit, but surrender to the Holy Spirit and His work in you. Humble yourself before the Lord. You, you live in God's Word and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit with the Word in you. Yield to God's Word. Get into the Word and yield to the Holy Spirit, taking the Word and growing in you and guarding you in your walk with Christ. That's our charge, isn't it? Live in the Word. Live in the truth. And let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. Taking that truth, growing you, guarding you from the evil one who's at work in this world trying to tell you something different than what's in God's truth, God's Word. That's my prayer for you. And that's going to be my prayer for you until Jesus Christ returns, that you would grow in God's Word, that you would take God's Word very seriously, take it very personally, and that you would live in God's Word. I'm not suggesting that this comes naturally for us. I'm not suggesting that this will be easy for us. It's going to take some work. That's why we emphasize that it says, let the Word of God dwell in you, right? We need to be filled with the truths of God's Word. We need to hide God's Word in our hearts. We need to be proactive and go after God's truth. And we need to make time daily for God's truth to get into us so that His Holy Spirit can take His truth and use it in us to be an encouragement to us, to be a strength to us, but also to be a guard to us, to guard our hearts and minds and to correct our thinking and correct our walk. So live in God's Word and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I do pray this for Your people today. That those who are followers of Christ, who have repented of sin and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, those You have anointed with the Holy One, and those You have given knowledge, Lord, help us to abide in Him. The anointing that we received, we're reminded by Your Word that it abides in us, that, that You live in us. And You teach us and instruct us and encourage us and mold us and shape us when we get the Word into us and when we yield to the Holy Spirit. And as Your anointing teaches us about everything and is true and is no lie, Father, I pray, just as it teaches us, help us to abide in the Spirit. Help us to be certain that we attach ourselves to the vine. Help us to be certain that we do so by sinking our heart and soul and mind into the Word and sinking the Word into us. And then, Lord, help us to see ourselves in the proper light. 
Help us to humble ourselves before You, Lord, that You might lift us up, that You might build us up, that You might encourage us up as we yield to You and and yield to Your Word. Lord, guard our hearts. Guard Your people's hearts and minds from the undercurrent of evil that is at work in this world today. And help us to depend upon You and Your Word and to keep our hope in God. Father, I pray. I pray for unbelievers today. Should there be those amongst us who have never trusted in Jesus Christ that they would realize the kind of danger that they face without Jesus Christ at the helm of their life. Father, I pray that You would help unbelievers today to repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ, to turn to You and admit their sinfulness and their complete depravity without Jesus Christ and their 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 weakness to save themselves and to believe that Jesus died on the cross for them to save them from their sins. And then, Lord, we know that You will give them the anointing of the Holy Spirit to guide them. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.